<laughs> I'm, I have no idea if this is going to work. If he wakes up, Maytee, would you mind running him to the nursery? Okay, we'll have a contingency plan. He just has not been sleeping well, and if he sleeps now on me, then our life will be much easier the rest of the day. So, um, we're going to be looking at James 2, and the second half of that chapter, uh, Matt looked at the first bit about um, uh, favoritism in the church, and we're going to be looking at the second half. And we're going to back up here and look at, starting at verse 10, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. He who has said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery but you do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act. Sorry, I should have given you time to get there first. James 2, 10 to 13. So speak and so act as those who are judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. For mercy triumphs over judgment. Um, we're going to be looking at the question, and then, sorry, the next question is, what use is it, brethren? If someone says he has faith but has no works, can that faith save him. So we're going to be looking at the question of can works or can faith with no works save us? Incidentally, this is the five this year is the 500 year anniversary of the reformation. Uh, did anybody know that? The only reason I you knew that. Wow. The only reason I knew that is cuz somebody wants me to preach a reformation sermon in their church in a few months and so I'm I'm setting it up. And obviously, what what are the five solas? I don't even know if I know this. What are the five solas of the reformation? Sola Scriptura, Sola Fide, Sola Ecclesia. I, I, I'm, three is good. Three out of five is good. <laughs> Sola Cristo. Yeah, anyway, so we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, as revealed in the Bible alone. And something else alone, right? Um, this is kind of a last-minute thing. I just thought, hey, we should talk about the Reformation because uh, it's Reformation year, I guess. And then we get to James. Uh, and, and by the way, uh, Luther was converted reading the book of Galatians and spent a lot of time in Romans. Uh, taught, and Romans 4 talks about how God, uh, Abraham is justified by grace through faith, not of works. In Ephesians 4, uh, 28, I believe. Uh, no, 2... 28, I always forget that reference. We are, it is by grace you have been saved, um, by faith, not by works, lest any man should boast. And then James comes along and says, in verse 21, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? What? And this is why uh, Martin Luther was famously, uh, his first commentary on James that he wrote, he called it the, the Epistle of Straw, and he, he said we ought to just drop this from the canon altogether. Well, I did a bit more research and found out that actually in his further um, commentaries on James, he took that line out, although it was too late, and it very quickly gets cited along with James and Luther. Um, and he came to realize that James actually is proclaiming the same gospel as Paul. He just comes at it at a different angle. Now, I don't know if you guys, you guys have all had professors and teachers, and half of you are teachers, um, which is uh, just how it is at St. James. We're all teachers here. Um, and how many of you guys have had a teacher that has a hobby horse? And their thing is, you know, whatever it is, women's liberation or uh, financial issues or, or some political thing. And everything 
you know, that's their thing. And, and it's not, sometimes it's a good thing, sometimes it's a bad thing, but you know, you know, if you, if you want to waste 10 minutes at the end of period, you just raise your hand and ask a question on their hobby horse, and boom, you know, <laughs> you have somebody pontificating about their favorite subject for a little while. And that's normal to have, you know, your, in French you call it uh, mon dada, your favorite topic. And Paul's favorite topic is grace. And James is very focused on the Christian life. But the two of them are preaching the same gospel. It's just a difference in emphasis. And that's what um, I have found it so helpful in the past because I've been so focused on, on Paul. But there's some things in James that really correct Paul. And they really work together because one professor is super focused on grace and the other one is super focused on works they're both preaching the same gospel, but how do they fit together? So that's what we're going to be looking at today, is how do these actually work together? How does grace and works actually fit together? Because we know that the gospel, as alluded to in the first couple of verses here, James says, mercy triumphs over judgment. He's alluding to the gospel here, the same one that, and, and there's other passages in James too, where he's, he's speaking about the same salvation that Paul had. That, that Paul was talking about. That same gospel, which is, and I like to talk about the four points. Number one, God is holy. In, in Romans 1, 18, it talks about how the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of um, men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. God's wrath is directed towards us. Why? Because of our sin. Because humans are sinful. Does anybody disagree with me on this? You, you look at, as humanity, you look at your, your own heart, you look at, at your family or your spouse, and, and you know that at some point we are all sinners. And so this, this disparity between the holiness of God and the sinfulness of us creates a, a, a terrible situation where we need salvation. As James says here in verse 14, what good is that? Can that faith save him? Can that faith save him? We, we need salvation. We need help. We can't help ourselves. We need somebody else to help us, which is why Paul talks about in uh, chapter 5 of Romans, uh, especially 7 to 10, it talks about, would you die for a good man? Would you die? Would you lay down your life for somebody else? Maybe for somebody that's really righteous, you might die. But for a bad person, would you die for a criminal? No. And yet God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, the righteous for the unrighteous. So that we can have access to God. Because God has died for us, we have free access to God. And it's simple. There's, there's nothing to it. There's nothing you need to do. There's nothing you can do. Again, as it says in Ephesians, is by grace through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And Romans 10, 9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's it. Believe and confess. There's nothing you need to do to make that happen. You just need to receive it. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in, in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. So, that leads to the question. So does that mean I can get saved and do whatever I want? I was just teaching uh, on, on uh, campus last... Um, I think that was about three weeks ago. And I shared one of my favorite examples, which is marriage. And I always come back to marriage to express the gospel because we can get super 
scientific and analytical intellectual about it, but God talks about um, salvation and the church as a marriage. We are coming together with our creator for whom we were created. We were designed to be in relationship with God and salvation is bringing us back into that fellowship. It's like a marriage. And I said, there's, there's nothing you do to earn it. It's a gift. You don't earn your place in, into a marriage. You don't, you don't pay a certain amount. You don't, you don't work to, to earn uh, a marriage. It's, it's a gift. Free love is a gift. Um, and this is the main difference between Christianity and other religions. There are, Martin Luther said there's many religions of works and there's one religion of grace. Most other religions in the world, probably all religions, there's some sort of works, there's things you need to do where you climb up the ladder and eventually you get saved. Whereas Christianity, salvation is a gift and it starts at the beginning and it is God's works that count towards us and we start from that point on. But again, getting back to the question that was raised to me in, in, uh, in Bible study a few weeks ago, well, does that mean that you can get saved and just do whatever you want? And this is what many people accuse Christians of, specifically um, in some Muslim countries, that's, that's the idea that is perpetuated, is, oh, Christians, that you can just do whatever you want when you're a Christian. I mean, just look, look at what comes out of Hollywood. This is what Christianity is. It's just a license to sin. Um, a pastor that I've listened to a lot and really appreciate out of Toronto is named Bruxy Cavey, and he said, you've, you know you've preached the gospel right when you get this question back. When you're done presenting how God has saved us, and there's nothing we can do, there's nothing we need to do, and somebody says, but does that mean that once saved you can do whatever you want? You know you've done it right. If, if you preach the gospel and people have these long faces and they're like, wow, that sounds like a lot of work, you've done it wrong. Um, the gospel puts us in this, this position of being the recipients of a gift that is so huge and so magnanimous, we, we feel crushed by by the enormity of it and we feel embarrassed by it and we're like god i can't receive this this is too big this costs you too much and costs me too little and god says yes that's what grace is but that does not mean once saved you can go and do and live however you want can i get an amen all right we're uh waking up here but shouldn't be too uh too distracting i hope um, except that I have no idea where I was. <laughs> Why don't I uh, pass them off to you, to Matt? And, uh... All right. Cool. Let me collect myself here. So um, Paul, John, and Jesus, all in, in one place or another, and I have a, a list here, on point, shoot, I didn't hand these out. So focused on my sermon here. Can I get somebody to hand these out for you? Got some notes for you. Um, in, in Romans, Paul spends uh, chapter 1 through to chapter 5 explaining what grace is and salvation, how it's free. And then he, had, he hits the question, um, well, does that mean that once I'm saved, I can do whatever I want? Shall we not sin all the more so that grace may increase? And he's got three answers to that. You can look them up in Romans. First of all, we've already died to sin. How can we live to what we've already died in? Secondly, why would you present your body to someone as a slave? Don't you know that when you're a slave, you have to obey them. You have to do what they want. And finally, 
Sin is death. Why would you bring death into your life after you've tasted of life? So you can look at that in Romans 6. In 1 John 2, 9 to 11 and 3, 5, it talks about if you're hating your brother, then clearly the, the love of God is not in you. And we need to live in, uh, in the light and not in the darkness. And in Matthew 7, 21, Jesus, Jesus says quite clearly, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I do? So James also is going to have uh, an argument to say, look, once you're saved, that needs to translate into a transformed life. That needs to translate into you looking different you, um, and your life um, being transformed. And so he has four arguments here that we're going to move through. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but has no works? We're now in James 2.14. Can that faith save him? So his first argument is a brother in need. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so faith, if it has no works, is dead being in, in itself. So you get this example, and he sets it up as, I mean, there's a time and a place not to give, all right? There's a time and a place when it says in 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, 1 Thessalonians somewhere, um, that uh, if somebody does not work, he should not eat. And there's a time and a place when people can support for themselves, and they're not, and they might ask for aid, and, you know, with the wisdom that God gives you and, and knowing the situation, sometimes it's, it's appropriate to say no. But he's setting this up as an example of, this is your brother. You know this person well. And the church at this time was undergoing persecution. Everybody's in the same boat. Everybody's having a hard time. And you are more fortunate with physical, um, with, with money and material. And this person lacks clothing and food for that day. Okay, this, this is not an extravagant request. This isn't somebody that's asking for your car or something. This is somebody that's asking for a little bit of food and maybe some clothing because they are in desperate need. And this is somebody you know and you know their situation. And instead of giving to them, we have a little prayer meeting, and we pray that God will provide for your needs, and we pat them on the head and send them on their way. Because we have invisible spiritual faith. And James says, what good is that? How did that help them? Do you think that that person now really feels helped by your faith in action at that point? Clearly not. In the same way, our faith needs to have legs, it needs to have hands, it needs to come out in our life in how we care for other people, in how we live. He goes on to his next argument. Someone might well say, you have faith and I have works. Look, your, your deal is you, you're a works person. Maybe he's read uh, 1 Corinthians uh, and he's got the whole deal about the gift of faith and the, and the gift of helps. Because there is a gift of having special, a great amount of faith that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians um, 12 and 14. You can have the gift of faith along with a number of other gifts. And you can have the gift of helps. And the gift of helps is somebody that really blesses the church by helping people. Uh, and, and people with the gift of faith, I guess, um, uh, it's a little bit controversial what exactly that gift means. But certainly they have more faith. They pray more. They, they um, are able to bless the, the church in that way. And we shouldn't judge one another, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, that you know one person has one gift, one person has another gift. It, Works is your thing, faith is my thing. And James, but James says, no, that's, that's different. That's a different sort of faith. That's the gift of faith. But we're talking right now about saving faith. 
And he says, show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Let's have a competition right now, okay? You say that you're a Christian, I say I'm a Christian. All right, you prove it. This is what James is saying, prove it. You got, you got your faith, but it's not coming out in works. I don't see it. How are you going to prove that? I can prove to you that I have faith because look at how my life is transformed. I'm giving sacrificially. I'm living uh, unstained from the world. I'm visiting or- widows and orphans in their distress. A life that is, when we have faith in Jesus, that's going to transform our lives. As uh, John Calvin said, speaking of the Reformation, we are saved by faith alone, but saving faith is never alone. We are saved by faith alone, sola fide. But saving faith is never alone. It's going to change you if you get reunited with God, with this new life um, that he is talking about. It's got to change your life. And if if you're looking at somebody and their life hasn't changed, um, then you should, as James says, in an appropriate way, say, show me your faith. I don't see any faith. Your life hasn't changed. Moves on to his next argument. You say that God is one. You do well. Um, the demons also believe and shudder. So this, uh, you believe that God is one, is the, what the Jews would repeat every uh, Sabbath. It's called the Shema. And we repeat it as well uh, in our liturgy. Uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And he says, that's great that you believe that God is one, that you don't believe in polytheism. But don't you know that the demons also believe? So if, if you're putting your, your confidence in faith alone, how do you think that that is going to save you when it doesn't save the demons? They're no better for having faith. In fact, many commentators have noticed that at least the demons shudder. At least the demons are in fear of God. And how many people, how often have you heard um, in, in the media or else even friends expressing or, or family expressing this, oh, I believe in God. And yet, it doesn't change their life. And they have no sense of fear towards God. No sense of respect towards the holiness of God. Just, well, I believe in God. I mean, I, I'm good, right? At least the demons shudder. At least the demons are afraid of the holiness of God. And they know of the judgment to come. How could we believe that simple belief, mental assent that God exists is going to save us? when it's not even as good as what the demons have. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? And then he goes on to two case studies. And I need to confess that as I studied this, and it's really interesting to compare this case study here in James 2, 21 to 25, or 24, with Romans 4. Because in Romans 4, Paul does takes the same situation of Abraham getting saved, And he says there, Abraham was saved by grace through faith. And here James says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? It's like James and Paul need to like duke it out and figure out which one it is. Um, So there's a lot of things we could say here. And we could just treat it as a purely intellectual thing and, and, and work it out. And it comes down to timeline and Rather than get into my whole study and, and the complexity of the issue, I'm going to just present to you what I've concluded, because <laughs> it'll be a lot quicker. That um, Abraham had two 
major experiences that are in view in these two passages in Romans 4 and in James 2. First of all, he had actually a number of experiences with God as an older man where God promised that he would have a son and that that son would um, become the father of many nations and through him all nations of the earth would be blessed. His descendants would be like the stars of the sky, the sand on the seashore. And even though he didn't have a son, even though he was very old and his wife was very old, he believed God. And that faith, it says in the passage, was credited to him as righteousness. And it was based on that that he was saved. He was put right with God. He was declared a friend of God. And then it continues. And he has the son. And God, and he is the joy of his life and he, he delights in him. And he makes him laugh, which is why he names him Isaac. And then God puts him to the test and he has to sacrifice his son Isaac. And he passes that test. And God stops him at the last minute. He believes that even God can raise him from the dead. That's how much faith he has. And God stops him and puts a ram in his place, which, which is a picture of how Jesus is, dies in our place. Um, and through that process, that faith that he had when he was staring up at the stars and, and looking down at the sea, um, that faith that began there was perfected. Verse 22, you see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, his faith was perfected. Now, the Greek word here is telos, which has the idea that it finally arrived at what it was intended to be, like an Olympian that finally gets the, the gold at the Olympics. And everything that has led up to that now has its fulfillment Okay, we've arrived. This is the telos. This is the fulfillment of all of that. This is a little bit different than the English uh, word perfection because perfection, we kind of have this idea of perfection and we arrive at this abstract concept of per perfection. But telos is the idea of arriving at what something was intended to be and everything was moving towards that point. Now it's helpful and, and later theologians have made things a little bit uh, more clear with two theological words, justification and sanctification, which are used in scriptures, but they're not used with really clean theological precision. There, there is a little bit of sliding around of the words within scriptures, which sometimes um, causes some confusion. So salvation is justification and sanctification. Salvation is we are justified by grace through faith. We are declared righteous. We not from our works, but just from what God's works in us, we are declared righteous. And there's nothing that we bring to the table. We just accept what God has done in us. Just like Abraham looking up at the stars and, and the sand and saying, I believe, I believe. But then there's a long process of living, working out your salvation with fear and trembling, as Paul says in um, it's Philippians, where we are carrying our cross and trying to follow Jesus. And all of that is also under the umbrella of salvation. We are becoming saved. Um, depending on uh, some of the verses that talk about becoming saved. Um, and this is, it's part of it. But your sanctification does not affect your justification. And that's a really important theological distinction to make. How well things are going today, whether you're having a good day, a bad day, an off day, a really bad year, a really bad decade, that doesn't affect your justification. 
because you are, your justification, how you got into the kingdom, is Christ's gift to you. How you continue in that is you is God working through you. As it says here, faith was working with his works. As a result of the works, his faith was perfected. Um, and then he goes on to Rahab as well as another case study. So, that kind of leads to some questions, doesn't it? And I can see some, some wheels turning and kind of people are kind of thinking. And I think the big question that that comes down to is um, just how much works do I need to prove to you that I'm still saved? Because James is making it really clear here, if your life isn't changed, you're not really saved. You need to have a transformed life to be saved. So how much transformation are we talking about here? I mean... After being saved, I've done some pretty bad things. After being saved, I've, my faith has become, at different times, really, really weak. After salvation, I have struggled enormously with, with doubts and with fears and with questions and with besetting sins and, and all this sort of stuff. Um, this is really complicated <laughs> to express intellectually. And so I think that it, it's helpful to descend into more of an emotional place, again, to return to the metaphor of marriage. Jesus says, or uh, Peter says, perfect love, there is no fear in love, because perfect love casts out fear. And many of us in this room are married. And I think, I haven't talked to all of you, but I believe that most of us are happily married. And part of a good marriage is that there isn't fear. There might be fears, but there isn't fear of abandonment or rejection. There isn't the fear that if I mess up a little bit too much today, my, my spouse is going to leave me. If I don't do this just right, then it's over. If I, if I mess up, boom, we're done. It's the big difference, I believe, between marriage and just shacking up or, or living together. We make a commitment, and no matter what, we're together. I give myself to you, I believe in you, and I'm, I'm with you. This is what it is as well to be a Christian. God isn't like, um, like a boyfriend that says, well, if I'm not pleased with you today, if you didn't perform enough, then I might just leave tomorrow. Jesus is like a spouse that says, I'm committed to you for better, for worse, in sickness and in health, whether you have strong faith or weak faith, whether you're struggling or whether you're strong, I'm with you. Does that mean, again, let's get back to this question, does that mean that we can do whatever we want? See, when, when we're talking about marriage, all of a sudden that question doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? That's why it's good sometimes to, to get a little bit more emotional about the question. Because somebody that's asking, okay, I'm married now, so does that mean I can do whatever I want? Something's really wrong with this situation. <laughs> you, you didn't understand. Like, why would you want to get married if, if, if you, if you want to have relationships with other people or, or not live with your spouse? Why? Um, this question doesn't make sense in the context of a relationship. God wants a relationship with him, with us. One could imagine the situation perhaps of uh, a marriage of convenience, somebody getting married just to get into the country, to uh, have the benefits of Canadian citizenship, and then once that is all established, boom, she's out of there or he's out of there. They were only in it for the money. Is that a real marriage? No. That's not a marriage. What's that? That's not a marriage. That's not a marriage. 
And I think what this passage is, is getting us to see as well as Romans 6 and verse, uh, Hebrews 6 and 8 and uh, Matthew 7.21, it's not just James that is saying this. All throughout the New Testament, what it's saying is there, we need to live as Christ, with Christ. Um, and let's... I want to close with a passage from Paul before I did the same thing in the first service. Okay. Um, let's have a look at, at some of the things that James says are supposed to be included in the new life. Uh, James, I'm just going to go through these quick. You might not have time to, to find them all. Just take my word for it. Um, James chapter 1, verse 2. Being a Christian means enduring hardships as Christ did. James chapter 1, verse 19. It means being quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Following Christ means keeping ourselves unstained from the world, in James 1, 27, and visiting widows and orphans in their distress. Following Christ means giving to those in need, sacrificially, and especially those um, who are Christians as we are and are struggling. Following Christ in chapter 3 means controlling our tongues. Following Christ means growing in humility and wisdom and not being ambitious and proud. Following Christ means repenting of our sin and our greed and again being generous with our wealth. These are the things that James is calling us to. These are the things that James is saying, this is what, what salvation is about. This is what God wants to do in you. This is how God wants to redeem every aspect of your life. And this is how God wants to demonstrate what Christ is in this world. Um, you know what? I'm going to end it right there. Last time I ended it a little bit differently, but we're going to end it right there. Lord, I thank you for uh, the book of James. And uh, just as our professor Paul was super passionate about the gospel and made that's so clear about how we are saved by grace through faith. Our professor James is so clear that our life needs to be different. Our life needs to change. And I thank you, Lord, that that is an invitation. Because ultimately, sin is death. And sin brings death. And you invite us to life. And you not only invite us, but you give us the tools and the equipment to live in newness of life and to have the fullness of joy that, that, that comes along with that. And so I pray, Lord, that um, you would speak to us about what's the next thing that you want us to grow in. What's the next thing that you want to, um, to redeem and to save in our lives? And I just pray for um, that you would have complete access to all areas of our lives. We just lay them at your feet, Father. In Jesus' name.